All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, as your bulletin says, if you look at the front, it says Vision Sunday. And typically at the Village Church, we have two Vision Sundays. One is the first Sunday of the year, and the other one is after VBS. But we have some fall initiatives that we want to share with you right now. So we moved our Vision Sunday up to today. And what we do at Vision Sunday, very simply, is this, is every year we identify um, a few major obstacles that stand between us and accomplishing our mission as a church. So Ville Church, um, our mission simply is to make disciples who? Yes, Joneses. Did you just go through a membership class? That was rocking. We exist, and we're passionate about this, to make disciples who go passionately, grow purposely, and overcome powerfully. And so um, anything that stands between us and accomplishing that vision, we want to identify. And so every year we identify, excuse me, a few things that stand between us and that. And I want to remind you of um, the three that we set um, in motion in January. And then I want to introduce a fourth one um, that we're going to be pursuing as the rest of this year Unfolds. And so the first uh, mission 2014 we set out was very simple. It was um, to develop a robust student and adult um, local um, missions programs. And so John Rocky has um, been putting together a global outreach team, and they are beginning to put in process the things to really um, launch that off. And so by 2015, we should be able to um, really fully implement um, a local missions pr- program into the church, which we have missionaries all over the world that we support financially and through prayer. And this is an awesome opportunity for us to put boots on the ground, to love them, encourage them, and it also is an encouragement to us. And I wanted you guys to know that um, Global Outreach is working hard, and they are doing a great job, and they're going to be bringing more to you as the year goes on. The second thing that we said we wanted to do was to develop irresistible, strategic, and fruitful discipleship of the Village Church men. Uh, ladies, can I get an amen? Amen. Yeah, Meredith is like, amen. Yeah, sorry. I know you didn't. No, you're, you're good. Um, and one of our desires is to develop men as leaders, providers, and protectors. And so um, much of our King series has had a special emphasis on developing men in this way. Our men's ministry um, just put on our This Is War event to uh, the fight for servant leadership to, um, again, train men in some creative ways. And so we are continually um, supporting our men's ministry as they look um, to develop our men as leaders, providers, and protectors in their home and in the church. And then the third mission that we set before you was that we wanted to clarify our um, teaching distinctives on some really boring issues like the sanctity of life, gender, sexuality, marriage. Those aren't boring, by the way. Those are pretty hot-button issues. And what we wanted to do was um, train our church how to think biblically, feel biblically, and live biblically in a very confusing and often hostile word to those issues. So in July, we're going to be doing a four-week series on the sanctity of marriage, on the sanctity of life, the sanctity of gender, and the sanctity of sexuality. It should be um, very exciting. <clears throat> the fourth one we're going to add, and where I'm going to spend most of my time this morning, is on um, a new one that we really um, are excited about, and I want to just read it for you. It goes like this. We want to strategically encourage, equip, and enable each member of the village church to serve so we can obey the Holy Spirit's calling in our church. We want to strategically encourage, equip, and enable each member of the village church to serve so that we can obey the Holy Spirit's 
calling on our church. And the rest of this sermon is going to be about unpacking that fourth one. And many of you have worked, do work, want to work. And when you um, get a job, you know this, that you go to work and there are expectations of you. Um, There are goals that you have to accomplish. There are things that if you don't do them, you get disciplined or fired. Uh, Everybody who goes to work, you know, at least you're supposed to, know what your job is. One of the worst environments is to not know what success is, so you never know if you're doing your job. But every one of us, we go to work, we get up, and we know what is expected of us. We know the outcomes that are due. We're accountable to somebody else. This is called being a big boy and girl and having a job, right? We all do it. It's life. We expect it. Now, many of you, uh, all of you have gone to some schooling, right? Um, But many of you have had the privilege of going to college. And in college, they give you this wonderful document called a syllabus. I I love the syllabus. Because the syllabus tells me um, every single week, what we're going to be talking about, what homework is due, and when it's due, what I have to do. I also know which classes to skip. I love it. Mike Boyle is a professor, and he <laughs> would never skip any of your classes, um, ever. But uh, I love syllabus because you know what is expected of you. And, and here's my question for you. When you come to church, when you walk through these doors, when you go to your community group, any gathering of God's people around the Word of God to worship Jesus— Do you know what's expected of you? Do you know when you stand before God what he will hold you accountable for? Do you want to know? I'd kind of like to know. Um, Let's go home. I'm kidding. Uh, What is your syllabus? What are the main things that when you come, these things need to be not just accidents, like nobody ever showed up to class and accidentally got their homework done or accidentally was prepared for a test. What are the things that you need to prepare for so that when you come into the doors, you're able to succeed, play by God's syllabus, if you will, and then be um, judged and rewarded according to the way God works? And so this morning, I want to answer that question for you with three E's. Pull out your notes, and you'll see three blank E's. And what we're going to talk about this morning, um, for some of you, you have been spiritually apathetic and discouraged. And I really believe that if you take to heart what we talk about in this message, that it can propel you spiritually. Some of you have been disengaged um, spiritually, relationally from the church, and uh, you're frustrated over that, and you want something deeper. And I really believe that if you take to heart um, what we talk about in this message, it can propel you relationally and spiritually in this church or whatever church you may um, attend. Um, Some of you have been feeling um, considerably guilty as time goes on for being what um, we call— consumer Christians, just taking, 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 and never actually being of, of a measurable benefit to the church. And I think if, if you will take to heart what I talk about this morning, um, it can absolutely propel you forward in your relationship with God and how you think about what you're responsible for. Three E's. One of these will not surprise you, although I hope it encourages you. One of these I think will surprise most of you. And I am confident that the last one where we will spend the majority of our time will probably um, convict most of us in this room. I was deeply convicted the more I prepared this sermon. And the first E is exalt. So that when I get up in the morning, on a Sunday morning, and I come to church, um, this word, I think to myself, 
my job, I am responsible for walking in these doors and exalting, lifting up, glorifying the name of Jesus. And so uh, if you open up your Bibles with me, 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to have you flip a couple times in the New Testament, but start with me and go to 1 Peter chapter 4. There's a pew Bible in front of you. And Peter's answering a question. It's an implicit question. And here's what the implicit question is. When I get together with God's people, um, when we're together and we're interacting and there's corporate worship, um, what does God expect of me? What is my job? What is on the syllabus? What am I going to be graded for, metaphorically speaking? And the first one, I want you to understand this, is, is when you walk through the doors, this E is huge. Your job in your conversations, in your interactions, during the music, during the time when I preach, um, during the meet and greet, during communion, when you're stuffing your face with sugar in the back, whatever it is, your job is to purposely, not accidentally, purposely exalt the name of Jesus Christ, okay? And here's what Peter says. In order that in everything, some things, everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so when I get up in the morning, my job uh, most Sundays is to preach or teach God's word. And here's my goal. My goal is to make much of Jesus, to lift him up, to point you toward him. But that same spirit that's inside of me is the same one inside of our worship band. And their job, first and foremost, is to lift Jesus up and to lead you so that you are focused. This is about Jesus, okay? It's not about you first. This is about Jesus, right? And the greeters, you walk in the door and they say hi to you, and their job is to create an atmosphere and a culture that ushers you in to uh, an opportunity to push people toward Jesus. They want you to experience the kindness of Christ when you see their face. Um, the ushers are helping you find your way um, to get where they want you to get because they want you um, to exalt Jesus Christ. And they do those things to make much of Jesus so that it takes like, let's be honest, 50, 70 people on a Sunday morning all working and preparing and coming into this building so that you and I can sit here undistracted, and sing to God, pray to God, hear God's word taught. That's amazing. 50 to 70 people every single week just so we can do this. And here's their desire. We want to create environments for people where they can worship, exalt, glorify, lift up the name of Jesus. And so when you walk in the doors, you might have had a terrible day, a terrible week. You could be fighting with your kids and your spouse and your friends. Um, But here's the deal. You walk in and you understand this. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. You may not be interested in what I'm talking about this morning. It does not matter. What matters is that you listen for the sake of Jesus. You may not like the style of music they play. Let me tell you, it does not matter whether or not you like the style of music. What matters is that you come to exalt Jesus Christ. You may not like a lot of things, but you're not the most important person in this room. Who is? Sunday school answer is Jesus. So you walk through these doors and all of these temptations that are tempting you to take your eyes off of Jesus and onto your own preferences, we walk in and we have to kill them over and over and over and over again. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm a doofus. I forget the most easy, simple things. Duh, pastor, it's about Jesus. And I'm like, well, why did they play that? No, why are they playing that song? Why? It's like, Michael, get over yourself. Come here. 
Focus on pushing other people to Jesus and you in your heart lifting Jesus up. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. Number two, I think this will probably surprise some of you, and the word is evangelize. Now, pop quiz, is the gathering of God's people for worship first and foremost primarily about Christians or non-Christians? The answer is Christians. Um, and so primarily, this is for you. So if you're not a believer, we're so glad you're here. Primarily, we do this um, to exalt Jesus together as a community of believers. But the Bible takes into consideration and is a very, I think, special place for the fact that non-Christians are going to be in our midst while we worship. Now, let's be really honest. Um, religious and spiritual people, we can be very weird. Can I get an amen, right? I actually had about 30 illustrations, and my whole sermon was going to be illustrations on this one point, um, and I had to knock them all out, and just, I'll, I'll give you two. I went to a church one time, and uh, I had brought some students with me to this church, and one of them was not a Christian, and we went to this church, and it came time for the offering. And so in the offering, what happened is um, they had this big bowl they brought out, and they put it right on the stage. And um, this, basically what happens is, um, I don't remember all the details, but people started standing up, and they had either cash, checks, or envelopes, and they get out and they would walk into the middle of the aisle like a Roman Catholic communion, if you will, and they walk into the middle of the aisle and they're wavering, waving their offering like this. And they walk up onto the stage, onto this bowl, whatever, and it's like they're making sure that everybody sees what they're doing. And they put it in and then they go back to their seat. And I remember just thinking to myself, these people are weird. Like, what are they, what are they doing? That makes me feel awkward and I'm a Christian. What would that even do to a non-Christian who's sitting here and thinking, wow, these people are strange. Like, I don't want to brag about that? What if I don't have as much money as the next person? And, and then another uh, one that I found to be just probably one of the more weird experiences was um, I was in a group, it was about 80 people, and the pastor said to all of the 80 people, um, on the count of three, I'm going to blow the Holy Spirit onto you. And when I do this, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and I want you to start just talking. Now, it's going to sound like gibberish, but you're not, you're not used to this, so it's just going to be a language. I just want you to talk, okay? And so he says, one, two, three, weirdest thing I've ever seen. People go crazy, right? Goes up to them. He starts tapping them on the forehead. They fall down. They're passing out. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is insane. Like, this is not normal, right? And thankfully, the Bible actually explicitly addresses some of the insanity that we see. And, And here's, I want you to open up, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, 23. And most of the time, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians even either 12 or 14 for the rest of our time. So just keep a finger there. But 14, 23, and listen to what this says. If, therefore, or when, therefore, the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues or languages, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? Right? And now Paul is actually um, hearing that unbelievers have come into, these, into the midst. And people are like saying, these people are crazy. Have you seen what the Corinthians do? Now the Corinthians, have, they might have good intentions, but they're not doing things in a way that exalts Jesus and is, is sympathetic um, to unbelievers in the midst. And here's what he says. But if all prophesy, meaning they speak forth God's word, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. And he is called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is 
really among you. And here's Paul's concern. He says this, don't you know that there are unbelievers in your midst? And, and worship, well, how you come together, the word he uses is it should be orderly. It should be functional. It should make sense. Anybody should be able to come in and have a vibe of what's going on. It shouldn't be chaos. It shouldn't be lunacy. It actually should be clear. And the message should be so clear that the people who aren't believers should understand what they need to do to repent and believe. Okay? And so there's something about how we do things, even though that it's not primarily for non-believers. Everything we do, we do with a sensitivity for those who don't know Jesus Christ. So when somebody walks in the door, the way the greeters greet, the way the ushers ush, ush if is that a verb? Uh, the way the preachers preach, the way the musicians sing, everything should be clear and orderly so that people can know and understand what's going on so the word of God is never muddled by sometimes our insanity because we can be all very crazy sometimes. And so what, does, what this does is it creates a sense of environment. Now, do we compromise the gospel? No. Do we not preach on hard subjects? No. Do we not sing songs that we love and that are Christ-exalting because an unbeliever might not think it's the coolest song? No, we, we still do what we do, but we do it with a sensitivity that takes into consideration that they're watching and that corporate worship of God's people is a means by which God uses to bring people to Jesus. And so whenever I go to church, I think to myself, if I'm sitting down someplace, I may not know the person next to me and I have no idea what's going on in their day, their week, their month, their soul, I have no idea where they may be with the Lord, but I'm going to um, create an environment and atmosphere around myself that is sensitive to where they're going to be. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to not raise my hands and worship if that's how God leads me to worship. I'm not going to not preach the way I would otherwise, but I'm going to be sensitive. Now, number three is where I want to go deep. Uh, most of you um, are fairly familiar with that, and uh, I want to share with you a word here that some of you are going to hear. You're going to say this, I know the word, and you're going to be tempted to check out. Um, and here's what I want to just challenge you to do. Don't check out with me. Um, because what we're going to do is we're going to build here. And I'm going to give you the word, we're going to define it, and we're going to start to explain it. And I think the deeper we get into this, your understanding of your syllabus, your responsibility, is going to be stretched beyond what I think most of us are used to. What does God require of me as a believer from Scripture when I walk through the doors of the church? Exalt Jesus, evangelize non-Christians. Number three, edify. And here's what this word means very simply. It means to build up. And literally, this word comes, um, it literally has to do with building up like a home, if you will. And so here's what I want you to imagine. Every person you come into contact with that is a Christian is a house under renovation. And it has maybe gone through some massive tornadoes or an earthquake or something is wrong with it, but there is a, there's a renovation that God is doing. And here's what the expectation is, and then we're going to go deep and explain this. Um, when I interact with you, I want my interaction with you to be like putting a brick under your home. And your interaction with me, your, inter your experience with me, I want you to be closer to completion or maturity because we interacted. You get that? I want to edify you or build up you or renovate the home of your soul so that because you entered into this experience and you and I had an interaction, I want you to be closer to Jesus 
for it. So I come in every Sunday, and this is on my mind. Who can I encourage? Who have I been praying for? Um, some people, I just have a scripture for them that I'm like, hey, I've been thinking about you. Um, and now let's go, let's go deep into this. And as you guys understand this, some of you have heard the term spiritual gifts. And I want to help you think about spiritual gifts and edification in a different way than you're used to. Um, there are three synonyms that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians for spiritual gifts. And here are the words. A spiritual gift a spiritual ministry or service, or a spiritual activity. All three of these things are, are, are the same concept. And here's what happens. Um, Billy Bob or Susie Q, they come to Christ. When you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. You are immediately um, called to edify. And the Holy Spirit in you, we're going to watch this come out in Scripture, the Holy Spirit in you is going to push you, it's going to provoke you to serve, to serve other people, to build other people up. And he's going to show you either gifts or activities or ministries or opportunities of service so that, catch this, every time you walk through the doors, the Holy Spirit will be pushing you to serve or to build up. Sometimes, Every time. Now, this is where it's going to get challenging for us because what I want to do is I want to challenge your fundamental assumption of your responsibility when you walk through these doors and my own as well. And I want to do this as we unpack Scripture. So turn with me, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And as you're turning there, you're going to see this word gifts. And the synonym here, you'll see it play itself out as gift, service or ministry, and activity. So that every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift, service, ministry, or activity every time you walk into the building that God's Spirit will provoke you to participate in. Catch that? Now let's watch how this plays itself, plays itself out. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are varieties, all different sorts of gifts or opportunities to serve. But it is the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. You see the synonyms. But it is the same God who empowers them in, say it with me, everyone. Does it say some of you? Every single one of you. And in case, like right now, what's happening for some of you is your brain is actually saying, no, that's not me because... And we're going to watch how Paul actually battles um, the battle in our own mind. And here's what it, <clears throat> here's what it says to each he, who empowers them in everyone. To each, verse 7, each, not just some, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Um, meaning this, that you have, by the Holy Spirit, a gift, service, ministry, or activity and the Holy Spirit has put these inside of you. And when you come amongst God's people, every one of you should have one. And what he's doing is he's saying, give these away. And you do them for the common good or synonym, the edification, the building up of the church. Okay? So let me just break it down and say it as simple as possible. If you claim to be a Christian and the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you Every time you walk through the doors of your church or you go into the home where your community group is meeting, the Holy Spirit will provoke you to edify people for their common good. 
And if you don't do that, if you are the, I'm, in, I'm into church late and out early so I don't have to talk to a human being, but you still profess Christ, uh, as lovingly as I can tell you is, you are quenching the spirit inside of you. You are quenching it. Now this is going to get more intense as this goes on. Somebody said this week to me, your presence is not, is, your presence is not present enough. Some of us think, well, I'm here. Isn't that good enough? If you're a Christian, I actually want to call you to something deeper. No, it's not. Uh, No, it's not. We're going to unpack that more. Um, Verse 11, in case he wasn't clear that everyone has a responsibility when they come into the doors, he says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Uh, So in case your brain is trying to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, he goes at it again. He says, no, each one individually that the Holy Spirit has given you or called you to a different ministry, gift, activity, or service so that when you come into the church doors, you come bringing something and ready to serve. Isn't that interesting? blows American Christianity out of the water, which is, go, show up, I did my due diligence, I heard some good teaching, I'm going to go home and do my thing. Blows it out of the water. And I, I want to go deeper into this. And I want to go to 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So go back up two chapters, still talking about spiritual gift, ministry, service, activity. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Let me put this in the most simple terms possible. A manifestation is when something previously unseen becomes seen. So the sunset, if you will, the sunrise in the morning, unseen becomes seen. It manifests itself, right? And so here's what we say, right? Most of you have heard you pray this or say this. God, I want your spirit to move. Lord, would you move? Would you change me? God, I'm praying for my um, friend. I'm praying for my family member. Lord, would you change my heart? God, I want to be all in. Lord, would you do a work by your spirit inside of me? Would you, with the spirit, make himself known? Would you do that right now? I mean, most of you want that, right? You're praying. We pray on Sunday mornings with the worship team. Lord, may your spirit move. Will you do what we cannot do, right? This is the heartbeat of so many of you. Um, And so here's what I want you to catch in this. He says, you're eager for the Spirit to manifest himself, to make himself known. Like you're wanting deeply this. So here's what you do. Strive, meaning reach. This is like put some effort into this. To excel, to be better at than maybe others. I mean, I like competition. That helps me. To To strive, to excel. And what are we striving to excel in? Building up the church, renovating the home of each other's souls through every interaction that when I come into contact with you, whatever ministry, gift, opportunity, activity the Lord's called me to, I come ready to serve so that hopefully my presence here, whether I'm the preacher or the greeter, the usher, the person who does communion, whatever it might be, the person who cleans up and prepares beforehand, I want to bring something to the table because that's what the Holy Spirit is provoking in me. He does this, and he's given it to everyone individually. So when you come to church, these three E's just stick out. Exalt Jesus Christ. Evangelize. Edify. Biblical worship takes into consideration all three of these.
Now, uh, go to verse 26, and in case he wasn't serious enough about it, he keeps going. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I love this, that the Corinthian church did not just show up and expect something to happen. They actually came prepared. They came to church in with something they were bringing to the table um, to give to someone else. Um, this is mind-blowing. Most people, we don't think at all about what we're going to bring to church on Sunday morning to build up and benefit someone else. But I want you to look at their example. That's what it means to strive and to excel. And then he says it just so well. Why do we do these things? Why do we? Because we want to be a part of the renovation, the building up, the edification of our brothers and sisters. That's what I want to be a part of. We say we want the Spirit of God to move. We say we want the Spirit of God to change. But he says if we want that, then we need to strive to excel, and we need to come with the purpose of edification. You can write in your notes, Romans 12, Romans 12 6. Uh, Paul says this, We all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And finally, and we opened up in 1 Peter 4. So turn back there with me, and this will be the last verse we look at. But 1 Peter 4, and we're going to go to verse 10, says this. As each has received a gift, a ministry, an activity, a service, every Christian has one, right? Use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. This word steward should pop out because the reason he uses stewards is this. You and I are accountable for whether or not we use our gift, ministry, service, or activity that the Holy Spirit is provoking in us. A steward is accountable to someone else so that from the moment you become a Christian, God's Spirit puts inside of you, provokes in you, this desire to edify, to build up. And it is to our own demise that we um, quench this Spirit, ignore this Spirit, come late, leave early, ignore people. Um, and in fact, we will be accountable for this. We will, we will have to give an account, a stewardship, an ownership for these things. And so he says, as good stewards, use your gift to serve one another. And then he says, whoever speaks, he breaks them up into speaking gifts or ministries and serving ministries or gifts. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And here's what we have. We have a culture, and even maybe a village church culture, that permits the idea that I can just go to church, sing, hear God's word, and leave, and I have obeyed God. And yet the biblical picture is a little broader. The biblical picture is this. I come to church with something to bring, to build up my brothers and sisters, and to exalt Jesus Christ. And that the two um, are two sides to the same coin. So you can't have actually one without the other. And I, I, I know, I know, I'm very aware that this is hard. You guys are wondering, well, what does it actually look like? 
What does that mean? Okay, I, I hear you. I see that's in the text. I want to obey God, and, and I want to, in a minute, help build a bridge for you to figure out what that actually looks like. I don't want to just preach, leave you convicted, and then walk away and say, have a good day. Um, I want to give a warning before we do that, though. Uh, a warning to some of you who are thinking this still doesn't apply to me. Um, I want to give a warning to the nomadic Christian. These are the Christians who are traveling from church to church to church, never landing, no home community. Um, they're just always going from one place to another. And it's sort of like having dinner in someone's house that you don't know every night of the week, but never actually having dinner with your own family, right? And you never get to go deep or experience the blessings and benefits of community. And some people just never, ever, ever, ever land in an actual community or commit to anything. And I would just challenge you, if you're the nomadic Christian, chill out. Find a church community. I understand some of your jobs demand you to travel. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the people who just never, ever land. The traveling Christian, which has gone every weekend, not for ministry or for Jesus, but just simply for play. That's it. You play, 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 and you rarely are able to be around God's people. You don't have the opportunity to commit because certain hobbies um, consume your every waking moment on your weekends. And I would just contend with you that if you will be a follower of Jesus, the gathering of God's people is so important and vital to our spiritual growth and health. There's the home church Christian, which says, I don't go to any church. Me and my family just worship alone, which is not a biblical paradigm at all. Um, there's the I'm too young Christian. That's not okay. Like, uh, you are not too young to serve. You might be if you're like three or four years old or something like that. We're trying to teach our three and five-year-olds what does it mean in little ways to serve, right? It's not too young for a mom or dad to start engaging and encouraging kids to start serving. Um, but some of you are like, I'm in high school. I'm a junior higher. I'm too young to serve. Mm, cut that out. Like that is you will stand accountable before God if you're smart enough to understand the gospel if you're um, smart enough to, to take uh, all of the things that the church offers, you are smart enough and mature enough to begin to learn how to serve and give back. My parents or my spouse serve, so I don't have to, Christian. Um, well, my, my husband does this or my wife does this. Well, last time I checked, you're not going to stand accountable for their actions, and they don't get to obey for you. And that God is individually, not maritally, but individually gifted or called each one to a ministry as he decides. And so that would be one for you. The I'm too old Christian, as one uh, really kind man said to me this week in his 80s, I'm not done till I'm dead. You may not be able to um, do a lot of things as you get older, but you can pray and you can encourage. Those are two baseline things that are able to be done. And some of you can bake, and we need some more food out there. Um, the I'm not smart enough Christian. And I, I just want to call this one on the table. Like, you don't need to be smarter than me to pray for me or to encourage me, as if somehow your encouragement doesn't mean as much because I know more of the Bible than you. That's ridiculous. Um, you might be a brand new Christian, and the Spirit might just provoke you to come encourage me or to pray for me. Like, the prayers of smart people aren't more powerful than the prayers of not smart people, right? Can I get an amen, right? And some of us, we don't participate because, like, well, I don't know enough, or I'm going to look dumb. And it's like, nobody here thinks you look dumb except for you. Nobody. I've never sat in a room and, said, and heard somebody say, they're dumb, ever. In fact, participation is a part of what is required if you're going to edify. My kids are my favorite sports team schedule, Trump's worship Christian. I would just say, be very careful on that uh, because Jesus is the most important thing and he's way more beautiful than sports. 
on every level. And when you stand before Jesus, he won't say, what was the score of the Bears game? <laughs> That's the last of his concerns. The, they're not my age and lifestyle, Christian. Good. <laughs> I don't want to just be around me. I get bored with me, right? And many of us say, well, they're not interested when I'm interested. They're not my age group. They're not my lifestyle. I'll say, good. That's actually good for you. Like, are you that narcissistic that you only want to be around you? I don't think so. And I know you're not saying that, but that's what you're saying. So invest in people who aren't like you. And this is part of the beauty of the body of Christ. Now, why is this important? I want to break this down and give you some so what's. It's important because God has given um, the village church a very specific ministry to do. He has also saved and given his Holy Spirit to a number of people in this church, and he is provoking you and pushing you and prodding you to be a part of this consistently, regularly, not accidentally, not haphazardly. And what we want to be able to do is not just encourage you and train you, but also build a bridge and enable you to jump into some of these ministries and learn what this means. And so what I want to do is for anybody who is not serving or um, has some extra free time or is trying to figure out what these next steps are, I want to take some time and build that bridge with you. And here's the million-dollar question. The million-dollar question is not, what ministries make me the happiest? The million-dollar question is, what needs does my church have, and how has God uniquely skilled and gifted me to meet those needs? What needs does the church have, and how is he uniquely skilled and gifted me to meet those needs? Some of us are so consumed with only doing things we like that we're missing the opportunity to do things that are needed, that are needed. And there are a lot of things that need to be done so that ministry can happen here. And God has brought every one of you here on purpose to participate in that. So here's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you some next steps, some things that we're doing as a church, and then how we want to ask you to participate with us in this. Um, we, um, I spent quite a bit of time over the last six to eight months um, interviewing other pastors, asking questions, just praying, asking God, talking to many of you, and trying to overcome some challenges that we've dealt with. And one of the challenges that um, many of you have actually asked us to address, that we really believe we want to address, is we would love to have— um, full um, children's church and village kids for both services. Now, the issue for us has not been getting workers, believe it or not. The issue for us has been getting um, parents with kids to go to the 9 a.m. service. And so all of my friends um, confirmed with me, and these guys that I spoke with, they said, well, your problem, dude, is you're offering service times at a time when parents with kids obviously can't go or won't go. And so um, we talked to a bunch of you, and we said, what would actually be helpful and the, res the responses have been very, very helpful, actually. And we've decided that come the fall, come the second week of September after Labor Day, we're going to transition to a 9.30 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service. And the mistake we made last time is we said to people, hey, how, how many of you would like to go in a, uh, with kids to a 9 a.m. service? And a bunch of people said, oh, yeah. But what we didn't do, which everyone told me was the big boo-boo, is you need to actually ask people to commit. So we're going to be asking nine families who have two or more kids to commit to our 9.30 service. We're going to be asking nine families with two or more kids to commit to our 11 o'clock service. And this is our way of building momentum in these things. Um, and also because our 9 a.m. children's teachers, they would do all of this work. They'd prepare all of this stuff. And then two or three kids would come, and some of them would have no kids in their class. And that's really discouraging if you're putting all of this effort in. And so we thought, well, why not make it as easy as humanly possible? And then also ask some people who'd be willing to commit for like six months and say, hey, would you do this? And 
I think this is totally reasonable, and we're not blowing the thing out of the water here. It's a very simple transition. But with that comes a number of other changes that we need to make. Um, in line with our children's ministry, <clears throat> we're going to be doing a couple more things. Number one is we're going to be changing our curriculum to, it's called Orange. We're very excited about it. It's going to be much more increasingly helpful for our teachers, and it's going to make discipleship, I think, a much more encouraging process. Uh, another thing that we'll be doing is changing our approach to discipling kids and families. And what we're going to actually ask is instead of having a teacher rotate, say, once a month or you're on once a month and then off for a few weeks, we're going to ask men and women to commit to an age group for a whole school year from September to May to disciple kids and families. And we want to put in every age group in each services um, a man or two people, sorry, who would be willing to collectively joint teach so one person doesn't get stuck with it all the time, but to disciple an age group for nine months straight. So that means you'd go to one service and you'd serve in another one. You're going to hear this theme, attend one, serve one, attend one, serve one. And we really want to give our kids the absolute best. And there are a number of kids whose parents need help in discipling. And so we want to um, equip these teachers and give them resources to encourage and disciple the parents and to help them disciple their kids. So that at every age group, no matter how old you are, all year long, you're getting the same teachers. There are some of you who are really great at discipling kids, and some families will actually take an entire age group together. So you might, um, you and your spouse um, might want to take the age group where your kid is in. And you could teach your kid's class. We'll bring in another teacher with you so it all doesn't fall on your family. And some of you will actually disciple as a family a group of kids. Uh, So the goal is we're going to work toward every single kid in every age group will have teachers that they can count on that will be there regularly, and the parents will know who their teachers are. And we really think this is going to help take um, our children's ministry to the next level, growing our kids deeper, equipping parents, and that's been a struggle that we've had. Uh, The question for you now is, how do I jump in? I want to ask the ushers if you come forward, and they're going to give every one of you from sixth grade up, um, every individual, one of these. And so as you get these, I want to explain a little bit about what it is. It says, volunteer, I want to serve. And our connections team has done an awesome job of putting this together and building an easy on-ramp for people who want to serve. It's one thing for me to look at you and say, Bill's Church, jump on. You're quenching the Holy Spirit if you don't. It's another thing for me to say, okay, well then what do you want me to do? What's available? And what this does is this is um, very clear very specific about the opportunities that we have in the church. I want to explain how this works. The first page is attend one, serve one, and it helps you understand our philosophy. Some of you will attend a church service on Sunday mornings, and you'll serve at a one on Monday nights. But we want to ask everybody who's a regular attendee or member if they would be willing to regularly serve and participate so that we can fulfill the ministry that the Holy Spirit has given this church to accomplish. Um, There are Obviously, you can read some of this, but go to the first page, which is red. It says Village Kids Ministry. On here are the different opportunities to serve. Some of the Village Kids positions are rotating, which you'll see there, meaning it's not every week for nine months straight. Um, But you'll see on there the nine-month discipleship positions. Some of you, um, you're going to go home this week, and the Lord is going to put it on your heart. I really want to disciple um, four- and five-year-olds and invest in their parents. 
And uh, you might look at that and say, man, I could do that. And if I had another um, person with me to take some of that load off so that we could do it together and be a team in this, like that would really excite me. And uh, so that's, that's our village kids. If you go to the next page, you'll see the blue, which is first impressions. One of my favorite, most important ministries in this church from greeters, ushers, parking, gathering, co- coffee, cafe, um, and hospitality team. And uh, some of you, what your ministry is, what you bring to church is food. I love you. Amen. You guys are awesome. Oh, goodness. Um, Especially when there's eggs with sausage and bacon and squares. So good. Love that. Um, Some of you have gifts of service. You don't want to be up front. Maybe you are just the happiest person in the world, and you just come and you bring a smile and a welcoming face, and you create atmospheres around you. We would love to engage you and help you serve. Um, The orange section is our Sunday experience team. This is our worship band, Sunday AV, communication prep team, or communion prep team. A lot of things go into every Sunday morning. Like, Somebody actually stocks every single cup. They put the bread in, then they put the juice in, then they put them in the thing, then they bring them out here, then they set up. Like, it takes like time and people to do these kinds of things. And the more people that we can have participate in some of these, the less of a burden it can be on the few, and we can get much more done. So that's the orange section. Uh, the gold, which is the next, which is Village Awana. Um, this is the one that is on Monday nights. And here are some opening positions that we have um, in Awana. Um, we have uh, 150 kids um, that sign up for Awana last year. And then we're um, praying for and expecting more for this year. We're going to start praying for 200 kids to come this year. And we're going to rethink some of the ways that we do stuff in Awana. But that means that we need people who are passionate about kids who are willing to serve um, or lead in different fashions. All of those are there in those two pages for you to look at. And then finally, there's our weekday teams. Some of you, um, life just does not permit you to, to um, do a lot of stuff on Sunday morning. Some of you have really challenging jobs and things that prevent that. But there are weekday teams, our connections team, design and technology teams, general administrative support teams that we need just a lot of, of help with. And so what we wanted to do is to make this bridge as easy as humanly possible for you. The last page says volunteer service form. And what we're going to ask you to do is um, next week, um, you can turn it in this week, that's fine, but next week we're going to hand one of these out to the church again. And we want to ask you this week to be praying about, Lord, where is your spirit pushing me or provoking me to serve? Um, it's, it's pushing me to do something somewhere. Um, everyone has the Holy Spirit inside of them that is given to us for the edification of the body, to, to their services or ministries or activities. So spirit, what is it that you want me to do? And if you don't know, um, there's three options. We ask everybody to fill out three because what if all like 10 or 15 people want my job and like, sorry, you know, like, um, so put three options and maybe you just say, what do I want to do? What am I willing to do? And write that down and, and we'll see how it goes. So um, here's what we um, promise to you is that, well, we intend to do, let me change that word, um, is next week after we collect them, we'll be getting some key ministry leaders together and we'll be going through all of these and you will get an email, text, or phone call um, within 10 days of next Sunday giving you next steps of how to either learn more about the ministry opportunity you signed up for or to serve or to onboard or to get the training you need. So that if you put it on there, we're actually going to follow up with you. It's not just going to go off into no man's land and you're responsible. We want to make this as easy as humanly possible so that you have no excuse whatsoever to not take a next step. Some of these you'll see can be done at home. Um, Some of these can be done at church. Some of these are Sunday morning, some are during the week. But we have um, a huge need, a lot of ministry in front of us. God has used the Village Church to minister to many families and kids, and we want to continually be faithful to the things he's given us. You'll also see on here 
Um, it says, do you aspire to any positions of leadership? And uh, this is not something that we're actually recruiting for any leadership positions, not elders, deacons, community group, leaders, ministry directors. But some of you have these aspirations, and this is just an easy way for you to say, hey, FYI, I'm interested, and you may want to jump on some training that we're doing for some higher-level leadership stuff in the future. It'd be a great way to start a conversation with you. And so I want to ask the band to come up, and as they come up, um, I just want to encourage you— um, It is an absolute pleasure and joy to serve God's people faithfully and continually. Um, Many of you have reaped the benefits of it. Some of you are doing way more than you should, and our hope is that as more people jump in and take the load, um, that we're able to um, meet the demands in a realistic way that the Holy Spirit, the opportunities that he's given us to do. Amen, Villa Church? Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for, first of all, for saving us. But Lord, you don't just save us and give us a free ticket to heaven. I mean, that's true, but that's not it. You give us your spirit. You give us purpose. You give us responsibility here on earth. And Lord, we're not done till we're dead. And so God, between that day and this, would you, by your Holy Spirit, provoke each one of us toward the gift or service, the ministry, the activity that you're wanting us to do. Um, Lord, for those of us who just don't know how to think about that, God, I pray that um, you would lead us to the places that you want us to lead. Lord, our desire is not to only do the things that we want to do, but to serve where your spirit is leading us and to meet the needs and demands that are in front of us. So God, as we think about the fall and transitions, as we think about edifying and evangelism and exaltation, Lord, we want to be faithful to you. And Lord, we want to come to church and be with God's people. uh, And we want to do it in a way that you tell us to do it. So God, would you increase our exaltation? Would you increase our evangelism? Would you increase our edification? And we ask you to do this by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.